The following sermon was preached by me, Jeremiah Cox, at the Elm Street Church of Christ in El Reno, Oklahoma. It is my prayer that you are edified by this study, and I encourage you to test all things by the Word of God. If you would turn with me to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll be studying from there this morning. It's wonderful to see everyone again this Lord's Day. I hope you've had a good weekend. It's always a good way to start the week off and coming together and, and worshiping our God together so that we can remember Him throughout the week. It's a wonderful design of our God to give us strength. I've certainly been strengthened by you this morning, and I hope we all have. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, in verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul says, Now may our God, or our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and our God and Father, who has, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. It's always God's desire and His relationship with us and what He does for us through His providence in our lives to establish us in every good word and work that belongs to Him. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2 and in verse 10. And as Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 says, we work out our own salvation, but it is God who works in us to will and to do for His good pleasure, verse 13. And so without God, we can't do what He requires us to do. We won't be established in the good word of God and the good words that we are supposed to utter that belong to those who are Christians. It's not something will be established in the good work of God if he is not involved in that. And so he always seeks in everything he does to establish us in those regards. And some of those things will be um, with physical matters included. And so we need always understand that, that even the physical things God helps us in are so that we can be established in the spiritual things. Take, for instance, Matthew, the sixth chapter, where the um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reached that point in his sermon where he addressed worry. And he tells the brethren there, don't worry about these essentials, your, your body and your clothes, what you will put on or about what you will eat. And he says to look at nature and how God takes care of nature. And if God takes care of nature, won't he take care of you? And so instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That is an extreme comfort in so many ways that God will take care of us with our physical necessities. But too often individuals will just focus on that and take their focus away from what it's intended for. And that whole context of Matthew chapter 6 has our example is speaking of splitting our vision and not laying up treasures in heaven and trying to serve both God and mammon and having a little bit of darkness in our eye and therefore our whole body is full of darkness. That's when he addresses that worry. And so God takes care of us even physically to be able to establish us in the spiritual truths and what we are to be in regard to those spiritual truths. And one of the ways he establishes us is seen in verse 16 of 2 Thessalonians 2. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father has loved us and given us everlasting consolation. And that 
Good hope by grace is very intimately associated with the everlasting consolation, but I especially want to focus on that this morning. It's everlasting consolation. We need consoling all of the time, and we seek it from our family and our friends and our brethren, and we treasure it so much when we receive something that is indeed consoling to our sorrows or just unrest and stresses of our physical lives and spiritual existence and goals as well. We are in constant need of consolation as people who live on this imperfect earth and in a sinful world. We are in need of comfort. The New American Standard Bible translates to eternal comfort. And so I want us to focus on that concept of everlasting or eternal comfort, everlasting consolation. Because that would indicate that it's from an everlasting source. That would indicate that it is beyond this realm and this existence, which is why even while we are in this existence, that we can always receive that comfort we need. Sometimes we may have needed comfort and we turn to a source that failed us and we found no comfort in who we sought comfort from or what we sought comfort from. Many in the world seek comfort in drugs and alcohol and and sex, and all of those kind of vices, and they don't find that actual comfort. And sometimes Christians may turn back to the world finding comfort or or turn to a worldly friend finding comfort, or they may just try to seek comfort in some physical way and find it for a little bit, and then it vanishes away. But God offers everlasting, eternal consolation and Comfort, And that's a wonderful thing that He's blessed us with. And it's to the end of our being established in every good word and work that belongs to God. I want to tell you that we need everlasting consolation for so many reasons. But I want us to consider some of the reasons that we find in these two Thessalonian letters. Because they were individuals who needed that everlasting consolation. Consider that we need everlasting consolation like the Thessalonians did because of ignorance. There are things that we may be ignorant about now, and there are things that we may learn, and then another thing that we're ignorant about later. And ignorance is in and of itself unsettling. There's a phrase that is thrown around from time to time that ignorance is bliss. The less you know, the less you have to worry about. But that's a fool's statement. There is no bliss in ignorance because just being unaware of something that is wrong or unaware of some kind of evil does not mean it doesn't exist. People turn a blind eye to conflict all of the time and they may have some kind of fake comfort in that. And I say it's fake comfort not because they aren't comforted since they don't know that there's trouble, but it's fake comfort because even if they're comforted in some way or another, the problem's still there. The danger's still there. The trouble's still there. And even if it's just ignorance about a good thing, that good thing can bring a lot of comfort if we do come to an understanding of it. That's the case in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where the brethren here were ignorant about the judgment day. They had not come to a full understanding of the details of when Christ will be sent again. And this is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 
Falling asleep is obviously a euphemism for death. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the brethren that have died before the coming of the Lord, have gone before before you. He continues to give them the knowledge because he doesn't want them to be ignorant. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. I want to pause there. Evidently, their misunderstanding or their ignorance about the coming of the Lord had to do with whether or not these people who had already died before the Lord came would be left out of this great bringing home and transformation of glory. They didn't have an understanding that the resurrection would be along with their being caught up with the Lord in the air and that they would be together, that they wouldn't be left behind, they wouldn't be taken sooner, they wouldn't be taken later, that it would be simultaneous in regard to the coming of the Lord, that they wouldn't miss out on anything, in other words. And he continues to discuss that. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, he says, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's not necessarily first in order, but before Y'all all get caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. The resurrection will be simultaneous and universal of the evil and of the just. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And I want us to notice this last verse. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It was extremely unsettling and extremely sorrowful to these brethren and their ignorance of this subject because they had had loved ones who had passed away. And those loved ones, at least in their mind with their ignorance, were going to be left out of these things. They wouldn't be with them ever again. And that is a terrible feeling. Hence the need for comfort, an everlasting comfort, a comfort that you can go through your entire life knowing that those loved ones will be with you and the Lord. And that's incredibly comforting. And he says we can comfort each other with these words. The New Testament writers knew that ignorance was a problem, that there's nothing good about ignorance, that ignorance needed to be eradicated because if you're ignorant, there is a discomfort and a danger that comes with it. And so they often said things like, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. In 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Paul said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. In 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 8, he says, We don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware of the Israelites and what happened to them. And they often say it in a positive manner as well. I want you to be aware or to know. And he says that in 1 Corinthians eleven three about the relationship of man and woman. Philippians 1 and verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel as Paul was in prison. Colossians 2 and verse 1, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. They don't want us to be ignorant. They want us to know there's a need for everlasting consolation due to ignorance. The entire epistle of 1 John is written with this in mind. The thesis, if you would, 
of this epistle is given in verse 13 of chapter 5 when he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. We're familiar of Peter's writings that he wrote, although they did know, so that they wouldn't forget, so that they could be reminded. We need everlasting consolation due to ignorance that we have and ignorance maybe that we have and we don't know we have. And that's going to come through the revelation of God's Word. Similarly, we need everlasting consolation like the Thessalonians did because of false doctrine. False doctrine is insidious. False doctrine is evil. False doctrine will rock our world if we are not settled in the truth. In Ephesians 4 and verse 14, in a context of encouragement for people to grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, he indicated we should do that, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You may have found yourself in this position where you're not sure what's right or what's wrong. You're hearing this and it sounds right, but you're also hearing this and it sounds right, but you know that they're different. That's very unsettling. You're being tossed to and fro, and that's not comforting in the very least. In fact, you're in need of great comfort, but that only comes from the everlasting comfort that God offers. The Thessalonians found themselves in this position. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. He goes on to say a lot of things that would be good for another study. And I want us to notice that they had heard false doctrine concerning the coming of the Lord. Not the exact same thoughts of chapter uh, or of First Thessalonians, but from the same subject matter of the coming of the Lord. And what they had heard is that He had already come again. And so if God had already sent Jesus, and this, mind you, after the writing of First Thessalonians, when God said that, that Jesus would come and that those who are dead in Christ would be raised and they'd both join together in the air to meet the Lord forever and were to comfort one another with these words. If they bought into this error, and it seems that some of them had, or at least had been shaken by it, then their conclusion is, we've been left out of this somehow. What happened? If He's already come, why aren't we with Him in eternity? And so there was a lot of unrest there with regard to the people of Thessalonica. And he says, don't soon be shaken about this. That's a word that is used in Acts 16 and verse 26 when it speaks about the earthquake that opened the Philippian jail. It says that there was a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And so they were shaken like an earthquake by this false doctrine. And if an individual is ignorant and then false doctrine comes along, they're going to be shaken especially if it's a false doctrine that leaves them out of some blessing of God. And so there's a great need for comfort. That's really what Paul is seeking to offer them here. Don't be shaken. Don't worry about this. As if either by spirit or word or letter, as if from us, the day had come. So there were claims of inspiration in preaching this false doctrine. That's what he means by spirit, by a spirit of revelation. Don't be fooled by these people. They're not inspired or by word. That is something spoken, verbal. He says in verse 15 of chapter 2, to hold fast the traditions 
that we're taught, whether by word or our epistle, and it has reference to what is spoken and what is written. And that's what he adds here, a letter as if from us. So someone is trying to act as if they are us, and you're being shaken because of what they're saying is leaving you out of the promises. Don't be shaken because we never said such a thing. And so false doctrine can cause so much unrest. And then on top of that, as we seek to live for Christ, so can persecution. We need everlasting consolation in this life because of the persecution we're going to have to undergo as Christians. Second Timothy 3 and verse 12 says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And that's exactly what the Thessalonians had been subject to. Notice in verse 4 of Second Thessalonians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, We ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. And their enduring of it is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. They are being persecuted. They are undergoing many tribulations. They are suffering. They have troublers that are causing them to be troubled. They're being persecuted for their faith, yet they're enduring and they're in need of great comfort in regard to this. Paul in 1 Thessalonians noted his mindset as he understood the persecution and the tribulation that the brethren in Thessalonica were undergoing even in the writing of the first epistle. I want us to notice what he said about that in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1. He says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. The Apostle Paul was extremely worried about the faith, the state of faith of the Thessalonians because of the afflictions that they were having to endure, that evidently they had been surprised about this and shaken by it. And he said they shouldn't have been because they knew they were appointed to this. They would need great consolation, comfort to be the enduring people of God as we're called to. And lastly, one reason we need everlasting consolation is just basic faint-heartedness. Ignorance, false doctrine, and persecution certainly bring unrest and our needs for everlasting consolation but sometimes things are just hard and things just pile on each other. And being a Christian can be so difficult at times and we can feel that weight and we can allow ourselves, if we're not careful, to be discouraged. And that's one of the things addressed in First Thessalonians 5 and verse 14. Among several things, the Apostle Paul said, We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, that was a problem. He says, uphold the weak and be patient with all. But I want us to notice what he also says there. Comfort the faint-hearted. The unruly would need to be warned because they're unruly. They're in sin. They're not right. They're rebelling 
against God. The weak need to be upheld because maybe they're weak in the faith and they need encouraging and they need teaching or or maybe those there's those individuals who like Romans 14 talks about don't have the conscience to eat what is a liberty to eat and and you need to uphold them that is bear up under them and and live with them accordingly in a righteous way and you need to be patient with everyone because we're not perfect and we're all going through our various trials and tribulations and if someone wrongs you you need to be patient with them and 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 address that or or if someone is is negligent about something towards you you need to be patient with them we we just got to be patient there's so many things we've got to be patient about but it's interesting that comfort the faint-hearted doesn't seem to necessarily be a problem with that person who is faint-hearted. It's not necessarily a weakness with that person who is faint-hearted, I don't think. It's just a plight of life. It's just a part of our existence, especially as a Christian. We have the tendency to get faint-hearted. Even the apostles had to fight with that. Now, there's a solution to it, which is why he says comfort the faint-hearted. When people are just getting down about things and they're, they're really having a hard time with their faith, being a Christian is just something that is such a weight on their shoulders instead of something that is a joyous occasion because of all of the trials and tribulations. They're having to endure and persist in being a good Christian. It's easy to get faint-hearted. They need comfort. In 2 Thessalonians 4.16, the Apostle Paul said this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. So they had the tendency of being tempted to be faint-hearted, of being discouraged. But he says we don't lose heart. And he gives the reason. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Comfort the faint-hearted. They need comfort. In Galatians 6 and verse 9, after the Apostle Paul established the seed principle that God has not mocked whatever a man sows, he will also reap. He who sows to the flesh will the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. He gave these Encouraging words, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If we're working faithfully as Christians day in and day out, making sacrifices and the right choices which bring hardships, but we're not seeing any immediate results, we're not in heaven anymore, Things or, or yet, things haven't gotten any better than they have been, we may be tempted to grow weary while doing good, which would lead to our negligence of doing good. We may be doing good in spite of the temptation to do evil, and therefore it brings persecution or trial or tribulation upon us, and we may grow weary because we're doing good. But what we've got to do is look at the eternal perspective and realize that what we sow will reap, so do not grow weary while doing good. Some, while they need this everlasting comfort, they need comfort, they seek it in the wrong places. One of the ways that men seek comfort in their lives is by looking to error. They don't have a stability and a joy. They don't have a sense of right and a sense of wrong. They don't feel like they're right with God. 
They don't feel like there's things that are going right in their lives and, and they're seeking comfort. But instead of going to the Scripture that will never lead them wrong, they go to error. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18, these individuals offered false comfort, if you will, or false joy and enjoyment in their error. They speak great swelling words of emptiness and they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, those who have actually escaped from... Um, from those who live in error, while they promise them liberty. They themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. So some individuals seeking comfort are really seeking comfort, whether they know it or not, because they're in bondage. They're in bondage to sin and death. And so they seek comfort, and they seek comfort in false freedom, like many false doctrines in the world offer that you can sin without consequence, that, that God's grace will cover everything. In fact, I just recently on a TV show heard a, a ridiculous quote that said, God invented sin so that we might know His mercy. That is blasphemy. God didn't invent sin, and His grace is not so that we content, continue in sin. That's a false offer of liberty, and the people who offered are actually themselves slaves of corruption. It doesn't make any sense to seek comfort in error because it only brings more problems. Yet, many do that all the time. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to fables. We ought not make that mistake. And then some seek comfort in their past life of sin. Remember back in second or first Thessalonians chapter three and verse five when the apostle Paul was addressing the persecution that they were going through and he sent Timothy to find out their state of faith. In verse five he says, For this reason when we could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, sending Timothy, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. And so great trial and tribulation brings about great temptation to do evil again. Perhaps we're going through this struggle because we are denying our fleshly lusts and to turn back to them would ease this pain and bring some form of comfort. But it's not comfort at all if it's not comfort with the Lord. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 4, it says that those Gentiles thought it strange that those Christians no longer run with them in the same flood of dissipation. We've got to realize that those who are in the world want us to join with them. And it's not for our good. And so we don't seek comfort in sin. If there's any comfort in sin, it is very, very temporary. But instead, we should seek this everlasting consolation at the true source. There in our original text in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16 the Apostle Paul said, May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. It is from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and God the Father. They have given us the everlasting consolation. That's the only source for everlasting anything. That's the only source for eternal comfort. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul noted the aspect of God that is comfort. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
God is the God of all comfort and the comfort that the apostles of all people so richly needed, they underwent so much more than we ever will. We cannot fathom the persecution they had to endure for Christ. The crazy change that Paul made from being the one persecuting to all of a sudden jumping sides and being the persecuted will never be able to understand what they had to endure and they couldn't have endured it without comfort. God comforted them. And what's even more impressive than that, I think, is that Paul said, since God comforted us, we can comfort you with that same comfort. Which leads me to the question, how does God comfort? Some would suggest that God comforts by this feeling that overwhelms us. And and all of a sudden, because of some song we heard or something we saw or just just an immediate feeling we had, we know everything's okay now. I don't have to worry anymore. God's in control. I've got that feeling that's there, but that's not at all the case. You see, some people think that they're comforted and they've received comfort from God and really nothing has changed at all. They're still in the hole that they found themselves in. They're still with all their problems and nothing has been solved. God comforts us through His Word. Notice the preceding verses to this verse of everlasting consolation in verse 16. Paul had said this, We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which He called you by our gospel. The source of everlasting consolation is Jesus and God, but they give us that everlasting consolation in choosing us for salvation and and setting us apart for that salvation and changing us into something different and to giving us the revelation of God's wisdom that we can walk in. And when we can see the value in that and meditate upon it and think about it, then we can really be comforted. Everlasting consolation is from God and the call of the gospel to salvation. In Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Jesus or the Apostle Paul speaks about the spiritual blessings in Jesus. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Notice those things. Every spiritual blessing, that's comprehensive, we have in Christ. And he talks about us being chosen in Him. That should cause us to think of how special we are in the sight of God. Not some individual predestination, but we're chosen in Christ. So when we decided to be in Christ by being baptized, then we have been chosen by God. But notice, He chose us that we should be holy. We don't have to be like the rest of the world. We're different. We're separated. We're special. And we're without blame now. Where we were guilty of sin, we're without blame before God if we're in Christ. And we are adopted sons, which means we have an inheritance. That brings great comfort to the individuals who know they have appropriated those gifts by faith. They do that through the gospel, which is the only power of God to salvation for those who believe. Romans 1 and verse 16. They do that by obeying the gospel, by being baptized. Galatians 
3 and verse 26, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ and therefore have gained access into every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, including that inheritance, heirs according to the promise, verse 29. We receive that everlasting consolation, that is, a comfort that happens and is afforded us in any given situation, no matter how how bad it is no matter how long it's lasting, because this comfort is lot longer lasting, it's everlasting. We can find comfort in those times. God is always seeking to give us those things. But I want us to notice that it's also, as he says, through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And that didn't just happen at our obedience to the gospel, but it's a continual process. That's what sanctification is. We're continually being set apart by the Holy Spirit in our belief in the truth that the Spirit authored so that we can be more like Christ and further away from the world and therefore further set up for heaven. And that's something we play a part in. So we can't have everlasting comfort without our due diligence. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 15. Therefore, brethren, since God called you, since God blessed you in this way, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you are taught, whether by word or our epistle. That is the apostolic traditions, what, what they spoke to the brethren and what they have written to the brethren. What is more directly applied to us is what is written to us in the New Testament. If we're to seek that everlasting consolation which God offers us, ultimately to the end to establish us in the good works and words of His, then we've got to be seeking the good works and words of His. We've got to be seeking the apostolic doctrine. We've got to be further established in that, holding fast to those things. And that's not an image of just kind of loosely holding on to something. You grip onto it for dear life. You don't deviate it, deviate from it in any little way. You don't move from it to the right hand or the left as Joshua was encouraged in Joshua 1 to be strong and courageous and hold on to that word. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Only then will we receive that everlasting consolation. And in addition to that and related to that, that everlasting consolation is given to us through or by God and by Jesus through the gospel in regard to the call to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has chosen us for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called us by or called you by the apostles gospel. And that was to a goal, to an end, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was not just slave labor. He's not just causing us to work and be set apart from the sinful world just for the sake of it. That would be enough. But he's given us incentive to it. He's given us a promise about an eternal glory. He's given us a prize we look forward to. And that brings comfort to us. In Colossians 3, we read about this. In verse 1, when the apostle said, If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. You've, you've been baptized. That's what he's talking about. You've been raised. And, and Christ is seated at the heavenly places. And in Ephesians 2, it talks about how God has seated us in the heavenly places when he saved us by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. And so we are actually where Christ is, but we aren't. 
And so there's a paradox there because we're at home in the body, so we're absent from the Lord. But we as spiritual creatures created for spiritual works are not focused on the physical anymore. So our minds, our hearts, our goal is up there where Christ is. And that's what we need to be seeking every day. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Why? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. It's like Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I don't live for myself anymore. I live for spiritual things where Christ is. And notice verse 4. Here's the promise. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. You will be as he is. John chapter, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. You will see him as he is and you will be transformed into the same glory. And that brings comfort. We're called to that. That should bring comfort in any and every situation. A comfort that never wanes, but if anything, it waxes, it grows, and we can rejoice always in the Lord. Philippians 4 and verse 4. We need everlasting consolation. God offers everlasting consolation. and We access that everlasting eternal comfort through the obedience to His Word and faithfulness to Him every day. It is an eternal or everlasting consolation because it doesn't look at these things of this earthly life, but it looks beyond to eternity. It is an everlasting thing, so it is from an everlasting source. It is not of this world. Just like Jesus spoke to the apostles in John 14, 15, and 16, I'm leaving peace with you. But not as the world gives you, do I give you. It's a peace that is surpassing all understanding, much like this comfort. It surpasses all understanding. How could you be comforted even though you're going through what you're going through, the world may ask? Well, it's because this comfort isn't about this life. It's about the sureties of the next life. In Revelation 21, John records what he saw. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That's what we have to look forward to. A realm, an eternal existence that overcomes and never lets in all of the negatives of this life. And even the positives of this life are swallowed up in that eternity because nothing can come close to being compared with the eternal day with our Lord. That brings what is called by Paul in his inspired pen, everlasting consolation. There isn't a thing that we will ever experience in this life, physically or spiritually, that can take away our comfort because God always is able to comfort us with His eternal truths if we are those who are partakers of them. 
you're here this morning and have not obeyed the gospel, we want to offer you that source of everlasting consolation and having a relationship with the one who can give it. And you do that first by being baptized into Christ to become a child of God and you rise up to walk in newness of life, changing your life and living faithfully from then on. If you have obeyed the gospel and there's other spiritual needs that perhaps we can assist you with, we extend the invitation call to you as well. Come forward while we stand and sing the song that was selected.